Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we come and we quiet our hearts this morning, reminded that you are the great provider. Reminded, Lord, that you do supply all our needs. Even at this moment, Lord, I pray that you would remind us to step back and to take a look at what has been provided and to recognize your hand in our life. For sometimes we get all tangled up in the trappings of the day and we forget that you love us. We forget that you care over us. We forget that, Lord, you have provided all of our needs. And we get in this woe is me attitude. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would forgive us for those attitudes that aren't pleasing to you. That we will walk this road feeling and understanding what, be, what it means to be blessed. Because we are a blessed people. Even in spite of the mess of the world around us. The politics of the day. The circumstances we have no control over. We are a blessed people. We are able to worship you without fear. We're able to be gathered together in your house. We are able to sing praise to you. And Lord, if there was nothing else, that would be enough. Remind us that there's a roof over our heads. There's food on our tables. There's gas in our cars. We even have cars. Lord, may we be more thankful as a people. Lord, there are so many in this world who barely are subsiding. And we are so richly blessed. May we not forget that. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's passage is out of Ezra chapter 8. And we're going to skip the first 14 verses, not because they're not important, but because there are lots of names I can't pronounce. <laughs> right? And it says a list of the family heads returning with Ezra. So there's a whole group, a laundry list of all these people. Not, they weren't not important. I just didn't know. I don't know them. Let's go to verse 15. This is Ezra speaking. I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Elizer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jerob, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah. Obviously, Nathan was, an, uh, was a Joe Smith-type name at the, that day, right? Uh, let's see, Zechariah and Meshulam, who were all leaders, and Joarab and, El, and El-Nathan, who were then were men of learning. And I ordered them to go to Ido, the leader of Casaphia. I told them what to say to Ido. 
and his fellow Levites, the temple servants in Casaphia, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of our God. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable, capable man from the descendants of Mahai, son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, 18 in all, and Hashabiah, together with Jeshiah. There's some names if you're going to have a child. i got some good names for you. To These are from the descendants of Merai, and his brothers and nephews, 20 in all, and they brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and his officials had established to assist the Levites. All were registered by that name. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered a prayer. On the 12th, let's see, again. okay, then we're shifting to thir- verse 31. On the 12th day of the first month, we set out from Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from our enemies band- and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. And on the fourth day in the house of, the God, of God, we weighed out our silver and gold and the sacred articles into the hands of the Merimoth, son of Uriah, the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him. And so were the Levites, Josabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Beniah. Everyone, Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel. Ninety-six rams. Seventy-seven male lambs. And as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of the trans-Euphrates who then gave assistance to the people. And to the house of God. May God add his blessing as we continue singing his word. So I want to begin with a question, a question that came out of this passage uh, for me, a question I had to contemplate uh, for my own life, and I thought, well, if I have to contemplate it for a week, you should get to contemplate it for at least 15 minutes. The question is this, how serious do you take your relationship with Christ? Let me ask that again. How serious do you take your relationship with Christ? 
I don't so much want an answer, but I'd rather, that I, and I hope that that rolls around in your mind for some time. I always say you can tell uh, someone's heart by their actions, right? And that's probably a lot more damning in our own lives when we look at our actions. And when we see what the way we act and the way that we respond and the way that we treat other people and the way that we do things and uh, those moments when I decide that I think a machine gun on the front of my car would be really cool, that's probably a bad day. <laughs> you got me beat, Ken. <laughs> I don't have one on my car. I just thought about it. How serious do you take your relationship with Christ? The scripture, this passage, is all about uh, help wanted. It's a pretty interesting passage, and I hope... I hope that you had a chance to read it uh, before because we didn't read it all. And we did, it's kind of hard when there's 30 verses and there's a lot of names and it, it feels like I'm clouding the scripture by giving you all that stuff because I can't pronounce it. It sounds uh, funny. And I try to just cut out some of the stuff. It, it makes it a little more clunky, but I really want you uh, to get a grasp of what's going on in the passage. It doesn't mean it's not important. All those names are important. There's a piece in the middle where they actually gave uh, the priests, their share of the riches. And we're not going to talk about that too much because we're going to talk about what happens when they make it there. But the passage is about help wanted. So you see, during uh, Ezra's plan, right, uh, you remember that Ezra was responsible to take a group of people to fill the temple, to, to begin a colony back home in Jerusalem. And he had a responsibility. That was to gather up the people, get the money, get the paper, which we, we, we saw there was a, uh, a scroll or a, uh, here is what's going to happen, right? That needed to go there too. And gather up all these people, put them all together, and make the move. And we've been talking about that last week. But here's the problem. And I got this backwards, and I just realized that. As Ezra put all his people together in their little groups... It says they camped three days near the river. Did you see that? The river uh, uh, Ahava. They camped out, and Ezra went around and figured out who he had. He took inventory of his people. He said, how many plumbers do I have? How HVAC people? Okay. Carpenters? I got any carpenters? Okay, good. I got a couple carpenters. Farmers? I'm going to need some farmers. I'm going to need some teachers. People who can instruct other people. I'm going to need someone to cook. We don't want to starve to death. Can't forget the cooks, right? We need some professional people, too. Some financial people. Some people who are good with their, their finances. We need people who can take care of others. Good caregivers. Both outside the home and inside their own home. Oh, yeah, we need somebody to run the church or the temple. And then we need some Levites. We need someone to run the temple. Oh, where are those people? They didn't show up. 
A few did. The scripture says there's a few priests, but not very many. Not enough to run, we would have, they'd have run those couple people ragged. Especially when you think about it, they took 200 and what was it, 220 plus the 18 plus the 20. So that's, so that's about 260 people, 50, 250 people that they needed that they didn't have. Right off the bat. All Levite people, all people of the priestly line of Levi. Their job and responsibility set apart by God in the Old Testament early on was to take care of the temple and all the work that needed to be done to make sure that was taken care of. They were set aside, their family line, kind of like what we would see in a royalty type line. Their line was set aside to take care of what was needed there. And no one showed up. We had help wanted, but we didn't have anybody who wanted a job. I always ask myself this question, why? What happened that the Levites, you know, you know what I wonder? It doesn't, say, it doesn't tell us why they didn't show up. But you got to wonder if they thought, well, that's going to be a big project. That's going to be hard. We're going to go back there and have to start this all over. Part of the problem may have easily been they didn't have much experience. Remember, they had been 70 years plus uh, about 57, 58 years. So we're talking about 120 years removed from having a temple and being able to worship and having that experience. They had no ex none of that experience. So those people wouldn't have had, like, they had gotten out of that groove. And yet God didn't forget what he had promised from Exodus. That the Levites would be, the Levites would be the one who would be taking care of that. And so when Ezra gets to that point, he's like, I don't have what I need. So there's a couple things that could have happened. They could have just said, well, we'll go with what we got, and we'll see what happens. I love the way Ezra does it. He's like, okay, kids, we're going to wait. Here's the plan. I'm gonna, I, want you to, I want you to take this group of people, and I want you to go and find the Levites. We're not leaving without them. We are going to take these people with us. Tell Ido what we need to know, what he needs to know, and round us up God's people to run the temple. And from that, it reminds me that we all have a job in God's plan. We all have a job. I like, I, whoops. I want to encourage you to think about your faith. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning? How serious is your relationship with Christ? If it's a serious faith that you have, you won't be a, uh, one of the people on the sidelines because our faith is not a spectator sport. We have a responsibility in our faith to not just come and warm a pew, but rather to share our faith with others. Now, some might say, well, I'm not getting up there to preach. I'm not cleaning the bathrooms. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not asking you to pick one job and do it. I'm asking you to ask yourself this question. Where do I fit in God's plan? Where is God encouraging and challenging me? I looked out there this morning. I was pretty excited. I don't know if you saw the, the book, the 
blankets are starting to pile up a little bit. Uh, my goal is that we can't fit it all in Dave Carey's truck. That's my, that's my goal, Dave, just let you, let you know we might have to take two trips. That's my goal. Right? Giving of something that you have it, that you don't need and that someone else could use, that's ministry. There's a young man yesterday who uh, spent his own time and energy cleaning the outside of someone's uh, trailer uh, with a, a sprayer and took a couple hours cleaning that mold off a, off a trailer for someone who couldn't do it. That's ministry. I'm asking you to think outside the box and think about where can I be used by God? Where is it that God will use me if I allow him to use me? See, I don't want to make a plan that says, oh, you have to do A, B, and C. I want you to figure out where God wants you to be used. We have some great people who do some great ministry, and some would say it probably isn't even ministry. We have some great listening ears in this church. People who call other people on the phone. And I, I will call someone, and I'll say, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. I hope you're doing okay. Well, I just talked to this person uh, like three days ago, and they called me every week, and they make sure that I'm taken care of, and they make sure that I'm okay. And it wasn't Brentley I called. <laughs> we, we, have, we have people who do some awesome ministry in so many different ways. I want to ask you, there, there is always help wanted in our church. The question is, do you have a job? And what is your job? What is your responsibility? What has God put in front of you? So many times I hear about people who say, well, I have this idea, but then uh, it's going to take some energy. I'd love to help on Wednesday night, but I'd have to commit for more than a week of my life. I can't help but think about the Levites that were in this situation. When Ezra goes and he's like, all right, go hook me up. I need 250 Levites. And we're not leaving until we get them. Right? We got all these other people. I got a laundry list of the names, who, all the heads of the people who were there. You know what's really interesting? These were all, if you didn't notice it, uh, they were all certified Levites. They had their names written uh, in that. Uh, we had learned about that earlier. Their names were uh, in the list of the Levites. Our faith is not a spectator sport. We need to step out. Church, we have people in our pews uh, who have been in our pews for years who aren't back yet. I encourage you to go through that directory or think about who sits next to you. Ask me. I'll, I'll give you an address or a name of someone who could use encourage. We have so many. The shut-ins list. Be a part of that group. They, they put things together and then they have a list. If you have someone who's a shut-in, who's not getting out anymore, who needs to be on that list, let us know. Let Connie know. We will get them on that list because we want to make sure we connect with those people and share our faith with them. Why? Why do I care whether you're doing the work or not? It's two reasons. Left or right? Both of those reasons. Right? Yeah, you're like, what the heck is that? The first one... 
is that if you don't get involved, you will not grow. Do you know what's going to happen to those little sprouts in about two weeks in that situation? You ever grow anything? I'm really bad at it. I'm good at growing them like that. I can grow them like that. And in about two weeks, they all grow up and they all, there's not enough uh, dirt and there's not enough water and bad things happen, right? They all get up. And my tomato plants look like that. That's as much tomato plant as I ever got. If you don't get involved, you will not grow. I hear so many times, I don't think I could teach a Sunday school. It'll be scary. Yeah, it will be scary. But you know what you have to do when you teach a Sunday school? Or you teach little kids? You have to study, and you have to stretch yourself, and you have to trust that God's going to allow you to be powerful in His Word. That's hard sometimes. I don't know if I have enough energy. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if I have enough energy either. If God is calling you to step out in something, in some way in your faith, step out. I bet you want to know what the other half is of that picture, huh? Any, any guesses? Okay, that'd be one piece. My thought was this. Overload, exactly. This is what we do to the people who are active in the church who volunteer their time and energy when we won't step out. Did you ever hear the 10% do 90% of the work? I don't believe that number is true here, but the reality is this. We have some people who give and give and give and give and give and give to the point where they're overloaded just like that motorcycle. There's a motorcycle in there. There's a guy driving it too. And you know what? That's not healthy. And if that's you, I'm not, in, I'm not asking you to do one more thing. I'm asking those who can step up to step up. Because we burden others with so much extra when we won't carry our part. You realize that Ezra could have took that group of people, and you know what would have happened? Because the Levites could have said, well, it's been 130 years. We have no clue what we're supposed to do in this temple. Why are you taking us? We don't understand. What we don't even know. Just take the people you got and go. And Ezra could have went. But it wouldn't have been God's will, would it? And it probably wouldn't have worked out. And it probably wouldn't have functioned very well. Honestly, one of the biggest challenges in the church today, in my mind, is this. Some people take their part, and then they take another part, and they take another part to try to make sure. There's a church in our area, and I feel super sad and bad about it. They told me that they, were, they have five boards, and, and it was a, it's a smaller church. They have five boards, and you know what they did every year? They rotated five people amongst those boards because they couldn't find any more than five people to lead in any way, shape, or form. So if I was on missions last year, I might go to Christian Ed this year. Maybe I'll be a trustee next. They just rotated people. And they were burned out, wore out. Now five people didn't go to that church. There were lots of people, enough people to fill those spots. 
Church, we are all a part of the body. I, don't have, I didn't want to put all uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. talks a lot about being an eye or an arm or a leg. We are all a part of the body of Christ. I encourage you to read that. If you don't know where you fit, read 1 Corinthians 12. And get a sense of the way, the way Paul reminds the people of the Corinthian church of what it should look like in a healthy way. What it should look like. I'm not asking you to do more than God is asking you to do. I'm asking you to hear his voice in your life. So I'm not asking you to feel guilty that you didn't do 10 other, other things you thought you might want to do. I'm asking you to do what God calls you to and for some of us, and I, I want to clarify this, for some of us, that means we raise our kids in a godly way. Because for some of us, we got little guys, and we're like, I can't do six other things. Absolutely, you're right. You can't do six other things. And in my mind, there are very, very few other things in the world that are more important than raising children. And if that's where you're at, do it. Do it in a godly way because it pays dividends. You may not see the results today. And you may not see the results tomorrow. And you may not see the results in the next year. But raising kids the way God would have you to raise them is a super important. Second thing that Ezra does in this passage is he shares the burden. We didn't read the passage, but here's what he does. Remember all the gold and silver and stuff he had? I bet he wished he had a, a Mac a credit card at that point, right? I bet he wished he had a debit card to put it on, and he could just, when he got to Jerusalem, he could just get it out of the ATM. But that wasn't the case then. What they had was literally gold and silver and riches. And that little passage between 16 and uh, 20. Uh, 3, 21, whatever. There's a little passage that says, this is what they did. Ezra said, all right, get all the priests together, all the heads. I want you to all line up, and we're going to split what we have together. We're going to split it up. Here, let me help you better understand. Yeah, now you relate, right? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we can split it up all right this way. Ezra says, listen, we have all this riches that we have to get to Jerusalem somehow. They didn't put it in their car, kids, right? They had to carry it. Each priest had to carry their part. They had a burden to carry. I'm not asking you to carry the silver and gold to the bank. But I am asking you to think about what your burden is. See, because I believe that in this world there will be burdens. And if you walk the faith in a, real, a very serious way at all, there will be burdens that are put on your heart. There will be burdens for people who are hurting. There are blankets out there because there are burdens for homeless people. There are people who are prayed for because they know that someone has to cry out to God for that person. 
We live in a very difficult time. I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it again. If, it was, if I weren't called to this position, I'd have quit long ago. Not because I don't want to be here, but because I realize that there's a burden that's involved in being in the ministry. There's a burden for your lives as well. First things first, though, you've got to work on your own life, your own burdens. I told you last week, I'm super excited that there are people stepping out to work on those burdens in their own life. So they're working for the future. So they might say, well, I'm going to this Bible study, but that isn't helpful to anybody. Yes, it is. Because if you can be healthy, you can teach someone else how to do it the right way, the way God would have us to do it. If you can grow in faith, people will see that as an example. You got to get involved. I want to share with this this with you real quick. Those are four areas that stick out in my mind as uh, of burdens. I used to be really good at the physical burdens. I loved to split wood or dig a ditch, shovel, whatever put on some siding or a roof. I'm less excited about that and those things today. But we have some strong backs. My grandpa used to call them strong backs and weak minds, right? I think he was talking about me. I don't have such a strong back, but I still have a weak mind, I think. These are burdens that we can... Do you realize that we are, live amongst people who have mental struggles, who ment- whose mental health is uh, ailing, who have spiritual crisis. I just wonder how often we walk past someone in the church who's struggling in, and we know a lot about physical ones, right? We, we tend to be able to, we talk a lot about those. Uh, but I just wonder how often we walk past a, a person who's struggling with spiritual crisis in their life, and we don't even think twice. We say good morning, they say good morning, they walk out the door, and they feel just the same. They don't feel loved or that anything has changed. The challenge is we have to dig into that to find out. I'll ask you, in a healthy way, to carry a burden. To carry a burden for other people. See, because if you're not, then it gets real selfish real quick. If all I'm worried about is me, 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 I forget about anyone else of you. I want to encourage you to step out and begin to carry a burden of someone else. It's as simple as this. Let me help you. Let me help you start the conversation. Because I can talk about it all day, but until I give you something that's... Here's the, here's, the, here's the statement you need. Walk up to someone, you say, good morning. How can I pray for you? Mic drop, right? 
They're either going to say something really light and fluffy. Oh, I'm good. I don't have any problems. That's ridiculous. Or you might just start a conversation with someone who needs a place to talk. You might just start a friendship that you never saw coming. You might just get to carry the burden of someone else's pain and sorrow. Church, we need to do that. Yes, it takes time. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, I need to get to Sunday school. <laughs> My Sunday school class hates me. I never make it on time. But we need to do that. Work to carry the burden of those around you. Look for those opportunities. Do you realize that when young people graduate from school, every single year, they have struggles? Ask a senior what's going on. Don't ask them about where they're going. Ask them how they're doing. Every senior in high school struggles. Even the ones who know exactly where they're headed. It's scary. Am I going to go to college? That's a great answer. I'm going to go to college. That's the answer. Well, how, how are you with that? That's just one example. Everyone who gets ready to retire struggles. Where's my value? I've worked for 40 some years and now I'm going to quit. Do I have any value? Absolutely, but if we never ask that question, we'll never find out the answer. And sometimes we don't want to know the answer, huh? I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I will encourage you to help carry the burden. Did you see at the end of the, the passage that when they got there, it was awesome to me. This is the awesome part. When they get there, they wait three days, rest up, and then they go to the temple and they count out everything they had brought. Did you realize? Did, did you hear what it said? Everything was accounted for. That means no one got robbed. Everyone took what they had. No one lost their stuff. And no one took anything. Everything that started out the, the journey ended uh, at, the, at the end of the journey was there. And they praised God about that. They worshiped God because they had been protected. Did you see it there where they said we were ashamed to ask for an army? What we wanted was the army to escort us to, the, to Jerusalem. That's what we wanted. We knew we had a lot of money and we were at a disadvantage and that people could come and get us. And what we wanted really was the army, a military presence to protect us to get to Jerusalem. But we knew we, we had told Cyrus that the hand of God was on us. And we better walk our path uh, with boldness. And when they got there, guess what happened? It says when they returned they, uh, from captivity, they sacrificed burnt offerings to God. They worshiped God. And we need to worship. This is a little different picture than that burden picture from the other one. 
this picture reminds me of my own burdens and how sometimes it really drags me down. And how coming to worship God can remove that burden from my life. Praising God. Praising God. They went and worshiped God because they had made it. I will never forget the first day back. In fact, not the first day back, but it was even before that. We had been out of worship, out of music, out of doing anything in the sanctuary for weeks. And the first night we came back to practice was extremely moving. It was extremely moving because it was a matter of the reality of this. We will be back and God is still in control. And like Brian said, it reminded me this morning that we can't take for granted the chance that we have to be here. We live in a world where there's a lot of people who are not able to be. We live in America where there's a lot of bigger churches where there there is a fight in their state that won't allow them to worship together. There are churches in Erie County that still are not open. Just so you know, we're not having, we don't have to go to California even. When we come, we should come to worship. We're going to end this uh, with a song, uh, Micah 6.8. And we've been studying this in Sunday school. And uh, we've been trying to work out in our Sunday school what it means, what it looks like, what does 2020 look like to act justly and to love mercy, mercy and to walk humbly with our God. The scripture says, what is required of you, O man? Other way around, sorry. It says, what is required of you, from God, O man, by God? And it says to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. I'll leave you with a... When I was just a little guy, we used to go down to Franklin every year. My grandparents would go to Franklin every year to a place called... I think it's called the castle. I was just a kid. Don't really remember. A guy, a pastor by the name of Chuck Smith, probably you may not even know who he is from California. Is a household name in our house. But he would come and do a retreat every week, or once a week, one week every year at the castle. And my grandparents, I don't know how they found him. He is a good, great man of God. And I would go there as a little guy. And I grew up very conservative, a very conservative uh, background. And we would go down there and they would sing worship. And there was a lady that was, that was a friend of my grandma's and she would come and stay with us. And I, don't, I can't even remember her name. Every time they would worship, she'd be up. She'd have her hands up. And you know what six and eight year old kids do, right? Like, why? So I'm asking grandma. Grandma, why would she put her hands up? Seems kind of, re- no, I, I, had never, I had never seen that. I had never experienced that. I didn't understand what that meant. It was just weird to me. Actually, I didn't ask Grandma. I asked the lady herself. I said, what is this about? She said, well, what does it look like? All right. Looks like you got your arms up. That's what I was thinking. 
She said, this is what you do when you're surrendering. This is what you would do if you were going to surrender. And so she said, when I go into worship, I go in with a heart of surrender. A heart that says, I can't do it. I'm not able. I surrender my life to you. I know this church comes from a very conservative background. I get it. It's okay if you want to surrender during worship or whenever. It's not a problem. It never will be a problem. Because I know that you know, and I'll explain it to you one more time, that this is what we do when we give our lives to Jesus. I surrender. I can't do it on my own. I don't have it figured out. I'm not good enough. I can't on my own. Let's pray.